my answer is I quit. I quit several times. Like it was not a like, oh, Pete failed and then 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 something worked. It was more like I failed once or twice and I'm like, I'm done. Welcome to The Fi Show, where you get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Financial Independence Show, where today we have on Pete McPherson, owner of Do You Even Blog. But before we get into his story, let me check in with my co-host, Justin. What is going on, man? Hey, Cody. We decided to come on down to Tulum for Leslie's birthday week. So in total, we'll spend about nine days down here. And if you've never been to Tulum, it's kind of a, a cool place where... You can stay in more like the city. You can do the beach stuff. There's kind of artsy stuff. There's great restaurants. Like you can do outdoorsy things. You could be fancy. You can go either way with this location. Um, you can spend a ton of money or you cannot. Like the place we're in for the first part of the week, uh, it's like 60 bucks a night. It's a super nice like apartment. It's got multiple pools and comes with bicycles. And it's just like a really cool modern setup. But then the back half of the week, we got a few more people joining us and we're staying in a bigger, nicer house in this other part of town that's like a more expensive area, do some day like beach clubs and stuff like that. So we're kind of even blended in two different experiences in one. But I think it's just like a great example of how any trip you can kind of make whatever you want and fit your budget and you can you can go bougie or you can go budget. So I'm looking forward to, to tomorrow heading uh, over and checking out that nicer part of town. I was going to ask, Justin, does Tulum have Frontier flights? Were you able to use that Frontier pass? <laughs> so it's kind of funny. We did fly Frontier, but it did not. We weren't able to use the pass. So like not every uh. single flight has um, those things available. But it is funny that now that you ask. So I got the Capital One Venture X card and I've been dying to check out one of their lounges and see how it competes with like a Centurion lounge. I got to say, I think I like the... Capital One Lounge better than the Centurion Lounge. It is phenomenal. And the Centurion Lounges are great, but the, this Capital One Lounge was nuts. The only one they've got open so far is in Dallas. So um, the flight times were better. It was cheaper. And I just really wanted to check this lounge out. So we decided to fly out of Dallas instead of Austin. I get free parking there anyway, so it really wasn't a big deal. The lounge is phenomenal. If you have, if you have the Capital One X card, get excited. Ooh, I do have the Capital One X. And... I guess I'll have to make a trip through or to Dallas <laughs> if that's the only one in the country right now. I think they're building other ones, but all right, you sold me, Justin. I'll uh, I'll come check it out. So for me, I've been staying pretty busy on all fronts. So on business stuff, on personal stuff, I guess I'll start with business stuff. Going to acquire another flip. We're actually closing. So this episode is coming out on July 12th. We're closing on the property the following Wednesday on July 19th. It's another lakefront property. It was kind of a motivated seller. Someone had past and the kids inherited it and they just wanted to get rid of the property. So I ended up doing like a cash offer, got a hard money lender, negotiated and got the price down. And it seems like it's going to be a home run. Last one worked out fantastically. So I'm crossing my fingers. I know they they don't all work out fantastically, but that one did. So excited to start on that new project. We also have a couple of tenants turning over and some of our existing long-term rentals. So we did a little bit of upgrades and some cleaning and are now marketing those to get those filled, which is actually way easier in the summer for those who are real estate investors. It's you just have floods of people that want to move in the summer and very few people that want to move in like December and January when it's cold in the Northeast. And then also been staying really busy with my main business, Gold City Ventures. I had to re-record a bunch of videos for our course. For those who use Canva, they've just been making a ton of changes over the past couple months. And since our course is really Canva heavy and we do a lot of tutorials, it's been me going back and like learning the basics, learning the ropes, and just making sure that I'm not leaving out any of the new features and functionality. So that has been a huge, huge fun project. And then on the personal front, I actually have a half marathon that I'm going to be running this weekend. So I did... 10 and a half miles this past Saturday. I was absolutely toasted because humidity was like 95%. I was just like pouring sweat. It was it was pretty bad, but I, I made it. I persevered. I think I'm going to be ready for next week. The weather looks like it's going to be much cooler because it was almost 90 degrees when I ran. But yeah, looking forward to that. I'm in running shape. I'm feeling good about it. And I'm gunning for the Boston Marathon next year. So I'm probably just going to be kind of sprinkling in some halves throughout the year to make sure I'm in good running shape. So yeah, a lot of stuff going on. Impressive, man. Appreciate it. All right, Justin, that's enough about us, though. Let's talk about the guest for today, Pete McPherson. So this episode's a bit different in that Justin and I had a little bit of a scheduling conflict. Justin, you were coming back from, I think you said Yellowstone, and you had like terrible service the whole time. You were on a road trip. So unfortunately, you weren't able to join us for the interview. I know 
Did your place not have internet? Was that the case? Yeah, that's yeah. The place <laughs> did not have Wi Fi. It was kind of like a cabin hostel situation, okay. but it was right at the foot of the Grand Tetons and it was gorgeous. That's worth it. That's worth the trade off. That's worth the trade off. So, Pete, Pete forgave you. I forgive you. It was still a great episode. Justin and I have known Pete for quite a long time, or at least we run in the same circles. Like, Justin, you started going to FinCon 2017. I started going in 2018. Pete has just been there like year in, year out, always adding value. He's given a bunch of presentations. I've been kind of following his work and watching him for a while. And so, it's been a long time coming. Finally had him on the podcast and we talk about all things business. I did not realize the graveyard of businesses that this dude has and his perseverance is like no other. You'll hear in the episode, he mentions he has 50, five, zero failed businesses before he really got traction with his main business. Do we even blog? We talk about how kind of the success he has today is just built on top of a mountain of failures. Like all of the skills that he acquired from some of these quasi failed businesses, like not all of them were just zero revenue, complete failures, but He's not running them anymore, but he says like he's gained so many skills. He's gained, he's learned so many lessons. And I think there's a lot that new and experienced entrepreneurs can take away from this episode and just how Pete thinks about business. And Cody, another cool thing about this episode, I think, you know, you mentioned the failed businesses, but also kind of what the intentions are, what's kind of driving you. Like Pete in the beginning was talking about how he just focused on money, but then started to realize actually a lot of these things he's trying to do is a real passion of his and that, yeah, maybe you could just dial into one thing and stay there and and squeeze the most amount of money out of it. But it's okay to kind of be looking around and trying different things, even if it's a little less efficient, if it's making you happy. And that's where you're getting your joy from. I know me personally, there's a lot of things I do in life where it's probably not the most efficient way to get the absolute wealthiest, but like I'm in a good place. And as long as every day I'm happy and whatever I'm doing makes me happy, I try not to stress too much and compare myself to others and think, oh, I could be where they're at or ahead of them if I would just solely focus on squeezing out the most money. So I think that's a great point that Pete goes over and a lot of us could take to heart. And like I already said at the beginning, Pete's been around for a long time. He's been a great part of this community. So if you want to get the best ways to contact him or share this episode with a friend who you think maybe is a big Pete fan, you can do that at thefyshow.com slash Pete. That is thefyshow.com slash P-E-T-E. Take it away, Pete. When I was growing up, I knew that starting your own business was like a thing. It's something like you just kind of heard, right? You heard in movies and TV or books or whatever, like own your own business, start your own business and all this other stuff. I really had no idea what that meant, but it just sounded good. That's the honest truth. That just sounded good. And I think once I finally got of age to kind of start working, quote unquote, real jobs and graduating college and all this sort of stuff, it began to crystallize in my head a little bit more tangible, I guess is the right word to say that. And so I just kind of dipped my toe in little by little. Side hustles is like the popular term today. At the time, I was just like, hey, how can I make money (laughs) outside of my nine to five? Here and there, like you mentioned already, I have a huge laundry list of business failures and successes along the way. But just kind of eased into it, I guess. At what point did, I guess, this side hustle revenue become substantial? Like how long were you in a nine to five and then the side hustle stuff started becoming meaningful enough where you're like, maybe I could do this whole entrepreneur thing. It's starting to cover my expenses or I could see a world where my expenses are covered with these side hustles. 2016 Okay, is generally where I point people. So to go back to memory lane just a little bit, because I think the stories could be helpful for some people. I got my first grown-up job in 2012, 2013 in accounting, CPA. Started off in audit and super boring days, 70 hours a week during busy season and just like staring at a computer screen at Excel and exactly what you think accounting would be like. And it was during that boredom that kind of made me seek other things, right? For a little bit of, you know, side hustle cash but also just to take my brain out of accounting. So to come into your question, nothing made money for a couple <laughs> of years. Oh, it was about, uh, what is that? 2013 to 2016, late 2016, over three and a half years, I started some e-commerce sites, lots of like media sites, like blogs and one or two podcasts and nothing ever worked out. Nothing ever really made money at all. and. I loved it. I loved it. I wanted to do more things like that. I was just sure one day something would actually pay off or whatnot. 
And more importantly, I want it out of my nine to five or more like eight to seven. Yeah. <laughs> and so in 2016, I started looking for another job that would be more accommodating for side hustles, right? Give me like a little bit more time to focus on this stuff. And it took me a while, like six months of searching, but I found one. It was with a startup who shall remain nameless because of what I'm about to say, but they were going to pay me a salary. It was less than I made in accounting, but I only had to work like half time, right? Like 20 hours a week or something like that. And I'm thinking I've hit the jackpot and I took the job. My wife quit her work. We had our second kid like right then. We already had our first kid, our second kid. We moved back to my hometown, which is where the startup was. We lived in Atlanta at the time. And I started this new job. And it was going to be awesome. It was going to be great. And they laid me off after one paycheck. Oof. So at this point, nothing that really made money, side hustle-wise, but a lot of time spent learning through failure and stuff like that. Took this other job, got laid off after one paycheck, had no idea what I was going to do at all. And I was kind of put in this corner of like, I have to make something work or I have to go back to accounting. We'd sold our house. We'd moved for God's sake. I didn't want to go back to accounting. And that was the birth of Do You Even Block, which I still own and run to this day. And it still provides like a healthy income, more than enough to live off of for sure. Started right there. It didn't make money immediately, of course, which we can go back and talk about if you really want to. But that Do You Even Blog truly was like the first thing that made any money whatsoever. You had this tweet thread and you said you started 50 plus businesses. Let me refer to it. So I make sure I get the dates right. From 2009 to 2017, oh, you yeah. started 50 plus online businesses. Only one was profitable. Sounds like Do You Even Blog 2016. That might have been the unicorn that was profitable. I know people who... Don't start a single side hustle because they're scared to fail. You failed over 50 times. Like, I'm just wondering, it takes a lot of grit, a Thank lot you. of tenacity Thank to you, keep going, <laughs> to keep going and, and to just kind of think, you know, from 2009 to 2016, it's seven years of it not working out. Like what motivated you each day to like continue to pursue these side hustles? And I'll just tag a second question on, we can come back to it. But also, do you know what the missing part of the recipe was? Like, why weren't these 50 plus e-commerce and blogs and podcasts, why weren't these businesses successful in the first place? Yeah, a great two-part question. The first part, that is such a large time frame, And that is the truth. I started my first blog in 2009 and I had a few different podcasts and blogs in 2009, 2011, like in that range. But my answer is I quit. I quit several times. Like it was not, a like, oh, Pete failed and then 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 something worked. It was more like I failed once or twice and I'm like, I'm done. Screw this. I'm not good at this. I'm terrible. Nothing's ever going to work, etc. And then a year would go by, two years would go by. I'd kind of get a little, you know, an itch to scratch. Like I want to start something. I want to do something. I want to make more money or whatever that is. And then I'd fail. And then maybe I'd do another thing and I'd fail hard and then I'd quit. So it's not like, oh, I just like had the motivation and persistence to like, oh, just try and try again. No, I hated it. And I failed so many times that I just, I just quit completely. And I thought I was terrible at it. So I think there's a lesson in there, right? I think there's a lesson that it's not always you have to hustle 24 seven, even though you fail for 10 years before you get anything done. Like it ebbs and flows just like the rest of life, really. And it, it certainly did with me. The second part of your question it's such a bland answer, but it's the truth. Lack of focus. Mm. That's really it. And you actually mentioned a great phrase. How do I know whether I should quit or keep persisting? And there's an amazing book by Seth Godin called The Dip. I highly recommend that for anybody, anybody in business, really. Just go read The Dip. Super short. It talks about that question. How do I know? Should I quit and this is not going to work? Or should I persist long enough to see it through? I wish I'd read that book earlier because I just quit everything so fast. You would not believe how little time I gave my projects to flourish, to, to take hold, right? To take root. Not at all. My brain was just like, I'm going to try this one tiny thing. Two weeks later, okay, that didn't work. On to the next thing. Huh. And not just like on to the next thing that's slightly better, but onto something completely different with a new skill set that I don't have, with a new audience that doesn't carry over from this project or this blog or whatever. I was all over the place for years and years and years. 
and I think you were hinting at this, but yeah, do you even blog? Really was like one of the first things that started to generate income within a month or two and then was actually able to provide like a full-time income because I stuck with it. And the reason I stuck with it is because I didn't have a choice. I was literally living in my grandmother's house. She wasn't there. She was in a nursing home, but she let us use her house for a couple of weeks until we bought a new place. Well, and then I got laid off. So we just lived there. I can also come back and talk about that, <laughs> but I didn't have a choice. Like I did not want to go back to accounting. That's a good motivator. Like nine to five or 7 a.m. to 8 a.m. or whatever it was, was a fantastic motivator for me to like, I have to work. I have to put in hours. I have to make money somehow because that other life is not what I want. Mm. And it just kind of led to persisting, I guess you could say. Persisting long enough to let it take hold. And I never had that before Do You Have a Blog. So that's the answer. Awesome. Yeah, I think it's just an important concept for people to no one internalizes like, and that's what I was hoping the answer was that you just didn't stick with them long enough. Cause I see so many people who will try to side hustle or they'll start posting on social media and you know, they don't go viral in two weeks or they don't make a thousand dollars or whatever the crazy, like Instagram ads are peddling, like start drop shipping this month and you make 40 K and then they're, they're posting up in front of a Lamborghini. <laughs> just, that's just not how it happens. Like you have to put in the work, you have to put in the reps. It is about staying focused on that one project. And it sounds like you kind of had to have that motivation, like the external motivating factor of, I don't want to go back to work. Or I forget who did this experiment, but they put like these rats in a tube and they could like measure how strong the rats were, how much they were pushing on the little barrier that was in front of them. In front of them, they put cheese. So the rats were obviously motivated to get the cheese and whatever. And they were like, I don't know the, exactly what the measurements were, but like the, the PSI, how hard they were pushing on was like a certain number. Then they put a cat scent behind them and the cheese was still in front of them. And it was like double the strength that the rats were pushing on the barrier. So like the cat in this scenario was that job. Like during this whole time, you had the cheese in front of you. Like you had a pretty stable job. You had those side hustles that could make you extra money. But it it sounds like until that cat came to the equation and made you push even harder because you really didn't want to go back to work. Like that was kind of the light bulb moment. That was what changed it all for you. You're absolutely right. And I will also say that there were mom and dad rats and (laughs) wife rats and mother-in-law rats staring at me from the sides to see if I could actually get through to the cheese (laughs) in addition to the big cat behind me. Seriously, like peer pressure. And it's one thing to say like, oh, I got laid off from my startup job. I'm going to go take another job in accounting. It's another thing to tell your family and loved ones who have never seen you make a dime from your own business, by the way. Hey, I think I'm going to give this full-time entrepreneurship thing a shot. Those rats right there feels weird calling (laughs) calling them rats those rats right there are also very motivating i should have mentioned that as well yeah no that's a great point too i just thought that experiment i just listened to a podcast yesterday they were talking about that and that's like the perfect embodiment of what you were going through at that time yeah so when you did have the cat chasing you what did you do like how did you actually make money because obviously it must have been somewhere buried deep in your head like you knew how to make money online because you did it it was just there wasn't enough motivation before so what were the things you did with do you even blog to actually make that first, you know, $1, $5, $1,000. No. Well, I didn't know how to make money, which is oddly enough how it started. The very first thing I did was reach out to, I guess I could say their names. They don't care. My friend Leaf, personal finance blogger, Michelle Schroeder-Gardner, personal finance blogger, Bobby Hoyt, personal finance blogger. I came from the world of personal finance because I had a personal finance blog for like three whole months or something. Three whole like months. That. Yeah. But I, uh, it was bad. But I knew who these people were and I had connected with them online a little bit. So I literally emailed these people like, please let me ask you how to make money. Please teach me. Can we just hop on Skype for 30 minutes and just help me? And I'm very fortunate. These people said yes and gave me some of their time. And I also, I guess, had the forethought to record them. So that ended up becoming the Do You Even Blog podcast. This is super meta, but I was trying to figure out how to make money and it turned out to be good enough content, the podcast. And I, I, I blogged as well. And I had years of experience like writing and stuff like that and marketing for that matter. It happened to be good enough content to start providing affiliate marketing. That's always a great one for bloggers. Of course, I never served ad revenues, but digital products, creating your own products. I mean, I was going to say it's common sense now. It was common sense back then too. Like it was still the thing to do, but I can't honestly 
explain more than that. Like it was good content, not for me, but from the guests, like on the podcast and people liked it. And so they subscribed to the newsletter and they visited the website and ended up buying my products that I sold. The only other thing I'll say other than that, and you hinted this several times, but it wasn't my first foray into podcasting. I already knew how to do that or like the technical stuff, like editing and publishing and all that good stuff. Not my first venture into creating websites or using lead pages for landing pages to get people on the email list or using ConvertKit automations or creating and selling digital products on, I don't even know what platform I used back then, but I'd learned that stuff through the 50 plus e-com sites and blogs and businesses and all this <laughs> other stuff over years and years and years. And so when Dude Blog came along, that stuff, the technical know-how was well taken care of. I didn't have to worry about that. I could just focus on marketing and the podcast guest and so on and so forth. I don't know if that was a great answer to your question, but that was a great answer to my question. Cause a lot of people ask me that too. They'll be like, you know, how did you learn how to do X, Y, and Z? It's like, well, I am like standing on top of a mountain of failures. I had this old business that I learned how to do marketing. I've had this old business that I learned how to do copywriting. Like I've now learned how to manage and host like an in-person event, like all these random skills for things that I don't do anymore now have kind of come to fruition with like newer ventures that I'm working on, which is really interesting. And a lot of people don't think about that. So the fact that you had 50 plus ventures under your belt, like you knew so much more than the average person about starting a blog, about affiliate marketing, about monetizing an online business. Going back to the early days of do even blog and having essentially zero income, you get laid off from that startup. And this is a personal finance podcast. What did your personal finances look like at the time? Did you have a big savings account that you were drawing from? Because I mean, it, it would be pretty hard for you to pay all of your bills with just do even blogger. Maybe you were and you were living like super, super frugally. We'll be right back after a quick word from one of our sponsors. Today's sponsor is one I use on a daily basis in my company, Gold City Ventures. That is the sound of a sale in your Shopify store. But did you know that Shopify now also powers in-person selling? Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store or small business. Accept payments, manage inventory, they have everything. Shopify brings together your in-person and online sales business into one source of truth, one dashboard, everything in one place. You know exactly what's going on. And now they have all these customization options. They have plug and play tools that you can integrate with Instagram or TikTok or wherever. You can take your payments by phone or by tablet. Shopify makes it easy. Plus, if you have any questions, their support team is there to help you. I know we have a lot of entrepreneurs in this audience and Shopify POS just breaks down that barrier to accepting payments with your business. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash show, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash show to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash show. Now back to the show. No, no. The very first month of Deven Blog made like $10 in income. Okay. <laughs> and it's actually me reaching out for a podcast sponsorship and just begging somebody for like a dollar just so I could say I had a sponsor. <laughs> they said yes, whatever. Perfect. The second month was like a hundred bucks and it was the same sort of thing. I just get like a podcast sponsorship. The third month, I'd already collected like 300 email subscribers who liked the show and were creators and marketers and bloggers themselves and I launched a digital product and made like a couple thousand dollars and I was like, Okay, need to keep going on this. The expenses side of thing, I got a little lucky. Again, I mentioned my grandmother's house earlier. We sold our house. We didn't have a big savings at all, but we were able to like turn a profit on our house that we like rehabbed. And it wasn't a flip per se, but we definitely got like, I don't even remember how much, maybe like $25,000 or something like that extra that we weren't expecting when we sold the house. We did have that and we were living in my grandmother's house and she basically told us to stay here. Until you figure things out. I guess she was in the nursing home. It was empty. It had all of her stuff in it, but she wasn't there. We were able to live there for two and a half years. Rent free. Hmm. Mortgage free. Right? Like that expense right there, gone. Other than that, we just did not spend money. Hmm. Like we ate insanely frugally. I don't remember exactly what our bills were, but nothing else made the cut for expenses. Like very, very little. Very, very little eating out. Very, very little utilities. Like we, we slammed down, no cable, like nothing, right? When this happened. So our monthly expenses were just dirt cheap. And we did take it out of savings. We put a little bit on credit card debt for the first couple of months. And then once things got to, I'm not even gonna say like a livable wage, but 
like a very minimal wage would do you a blog, we were kind of able to break even. And again, I'll be honest with you, this is the financial independent show. We were obviously not FI, <laughs> right? And we weren't really contributing towards it at all during those years mm-hmm. until do even blog ramped up enough to start contributing to retirement. My wife went back to work a couple of years ago and that obviously helped like quite a bit, but there was like a two or three year period in there where it was still sweating it, <laughs> right? Like we were earning enough, but we were definitely not growing wealth whatsoever. We were just kind of managing. We had high hopes. We weren't desperate. We weren't struggling either. We were like right at that balance point. I mean, obviously it was stressful and scary on and off, but no. When that first happened, we just slashed expenses through the roof and gradually built it back up over time. So was your wife just at home with the kids or kid at that time in 2016? Yeah. She is a musician as well as teacher. She had a director of choral activities job before that. And then when we did Atlanta, she quit that and taught private lessons while we had our kids. And when we moved to Rome, she actually did end up getting some more students, private lessons. She taught piano and voice lessons and, and stuff like that over the years. So she was able to bring in side hustle income. I guess it's a side hustle. Yeah. It wasn't a full-time job. <laughs> anyway, she was able to bring in a little bit of income to help us out. Okay. So there's a lot of people who have probably been in that situation. They may be not as extreme where they lose their job and then like everything is banking on this one thing. But oh, I hope not. Even when I was yeah. starting out, like I had so many people doubt me, friends and family. They're like, when are you going to give this up? Like, this is stupid. You have a blog, you have a podcast. You're like, what are you doing? You make $10, then you make $100. Like, is that enough to get your wife on board? Or is she like, Pete, what the hell are you doing? Like, at what point did she think this is a viable thing that's going to be able to support our family and like feed our kids? I actually don't know. In all actuality, like in her brain, I have no idea when that <laughs> happened. Probably later than what she told me. <laughs> yeah, probably later than month one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it was made easier by the fact that we did get lucky with our like mortgage and rent in my grandmother's house. We were able to like literally survive for several months based on slashing expenses, having a little bit in reserve from the sale of our house and just various stuff like that. And within about six months, do you even blog wasn't like, it wasn't like full-time income, but it was definitely enough to realize like, okay, maybe he's got something here and we can make this work. The first three months were just like a leap of faith. Like, okay, all right, husband, you, you do your thing. Two and a half months from now, we're going to have a chat and the chat's going to be like, we need to go get a real job. And (laughs) hopefully I made just enough money in that like three month period for her to say like, okay, maybe I'll give you like another three months. And by that six month mark, it was like, okay, we could probably make this work. And after like two or three years at that point, she, everybody's normal. Yeah. Right. Like she was used to it. My parents, her parents, friends, they could all like see how it worked and I could explain it a little bit better. It's a weird thing that not enough people talk about how to communicate to your spouse and your family. What the hell you do when it comes to <laughs> I still struggle to this day. <laughs> it's still hard. It's still hard. But yeah, I'd say the first couple of months were made of love <laughs> and trust. And then just like the rest of it, it grew slowly enough where they started to realize it was probably going to be okay. Hmm. We weren't going to die. All right. Well, I'm glad it's been working out. I'm glad it worked out. And I'm sure your wife is happy that it's worked out. And she was just baking on, come on, Pete, is this going to be the month that this thing takes off? But yeah, we could go down the do even blog rabbit hole and talk about how you built your business. But I feel like we've done that with other guests before. I think what's really interesting about you, Pete, is that you are a dabbler. I called you an experimenter at the beginning of this, like going through the just archive of things that you've done, things that you've tried, things that you've talked about. I was hoping that maybe we could just dive into some interesting things you're seeing in the side hustle online business world, new trends. I know you I saw a couple of threads on Twitter. You talk about AI. I know you're constantly just like trying out new tools and seeing what's what new things there are. So I was just hoping we could kind of, I'll let you take that in whatever direction you want, but I was just hoping maybe we could talk about okay. like some new developments, new trends, and kind of like the online business side hustle world that you're seeing. Yeah. Well, since you gave me the permission to approach that, how Let's I do want. it. Can we talk about freedom? Let's do it. Yeah. So I had a business coach about two years ago who made me do a thought exercise. That was basically like, what are your values? Just naturally the things you believe in and that you place a priority on in your life, not just business, but your entire life. And I struggled to come up with some. I was like, I'm not, 
I'm not really sure. And she had me do a few exercises and I eventually landed on like three or four core values. The first one is freedom. And it took me like seven years of quitting my job or do even blog to figure this out. I am more attracted to freedom of time and freedom of what I work on more than money. The first year of do even blog, it was all about money. It was surviving past that point. I thought it was about money. I thought I wanted to dedicate most of what I do to earning more, growing wealth, becoming a bajillionaire. And even as my income grew that I knew something was wrong and knew something didn't fit, right? It's not really what I live for. And what I live for, as it turns out, is freedom of time and freedom of, I call it freedom of energy. Basically, it means like what I work on, on any given day. And you mentioned dabbling. I dabble and I lack focus in a lot of different ways because I like lacking focus. It's the same reason why those 50 plus businesses failed is also what makes me happy. Let me say that again, because I know this is really weird. (laughs) Not a lot of people talk about this. The same lack of focus and the same shiny object syndrome, if you want to call it that, definitely led to a lot of different failures and frustration, but that's actually what I enjoy out of my time, out of my days. The days I work, I like doing that. I like following my energy and my passions and chasing shiny objects and all this other stuff. So I work like 20 hours a week now. I just got back from a three-week vacation where I did not work. I've been making money. Enough of my income is passive. It's been fine. I work on whatever I want to work on. Today, I literally just explored a new idea. I didn't create any content for any of my brands. No blogs, no podcasts, nothing. Didn't send any emails. I had no meetings other than this one. I just literally watched YouTube videos and explored an idea. It's about AI. This is, this is why I do everything. Every decision I make in life and business come back to this. I like freedom of time and I like freedom to work on whatever I want to work on. And so going back, circling back to kind of what you asked, like the state of, I don't remember how you phrased it, but like the state of online entrepreneurship, maybe. Yeah. It's something I'm probably qualified to talk on. I think things are crazy right now for a lot of reasons. AI might even be one of the bigger ones and increasing competition might even be one of the big ones. There's a crap ton of content for creators. There's a crap ton of content for entrepreneurs. And it's just crazy. Ideas are failing faster. Ideas are taking successes faster. I don't know if that makes any sense, but I am personally jumbled. I have a hard time recommending somebody do something specific. Start this business. Do this. Do this. I have a really hard time recommending that right now. And I'm not really sure where I was going with that. But I do have a follow up question to kind of just kind of dig at the okay, core of what you. I was asking there, because, yeah, I, I want this to be as usable as possible for the listeners as someone who yes. when you spent all day consuming content on something you were interested in today on YouTube and reading stuff and learning about AI. I feel like a lot of people don't even have a chance to or for some reason, they don't explore those passions. So I kind of want to ask personally, like, where do you generate these ideas from when you have like the new business idea? Let's we'll just talk about the one today. You don't even have to mention what it is, but like. Is it something you read on social media? Is it something that you have a newsletter that you love? Is it something that you read about in a blog or maybe a suggested YouTube video comes up on a new thing? Like, how do you pick the next thing to go down the rabbit hole on? Here's my exact system. Here's exactly what I do. I have a, it's basically a Trello board. I don't use Trello. It's a crazy tool. No one should use it but me. (laughs) But it's basically Trello where I just dump ideas. Sometimes they'll come to me in the shower. Sometimes I will read something. I'd be like, oh, that's interesting. I should write that down. Sometimes, and most often, it's an itch that I need scratching. Scratch your own itch. We hear this advice a lot. A problem or challenge that you are experiencing is by far the easiest way to come up with ideas. Business ideas, content ideas, app ideas, coding, anything, anything. And so I have a Trello board where I just dump everything. And I have a couple of columns. By the way, I didn't make this up. I stole this from Peter Levels, levels levels.io. He's like an indie hacker. He created a bunch of like amazing stuff. I basically have one column that's just like a bunch of ideas. The next column over is like potential. That's literally what it's called. It's like, oh, some of these, I could actually do this. I could actually see this being a thing or making money or something, right? And then the other columns are like in progress, succeed, fail. (laughs) That's it. And I've been doing this for uh, maybe like, two years at this point, the same like Trello thing. I have like 
60 ideas, some of which are probably just stupid and garbage <laughs> and would never, ever work in a million years. Some of these were like, oh, what was I even thinking when I wrote this down? Like, I have no idea. And some of them are like, oh, this is still a problem I have. This is still an itch that I need to scratch. And I haven't found a solution for it yet. There's a potential app or there's a potential business or like whatever that is. So that's not a great answer to your question. Although I do think scratching your own itch, just developing the awareness in your day-to-day life, that's the hard part, right? Mm, yeah. <laughs> like thinking of the actual idea it never happens like that. It always happens like when you have the awareness to realize, oh, wait, I am struggling right now. Or, oh my God, I wish this were easier. Or like whatever that is. Developing that awareness where you can recognize your struggles, your challenges, I guess you could say, that is by far put the most ideas on my trailer board. You mentioned dabbling, and I spoke about my obsession with freedom, freedom of time, and that sort of stuff specifically. So I feel really confident about what I did today because I'm learning things or doing things that are going to help me in the future no matter what. I said skills. It's really not just skills, but this is how I dabble. This is how I am okay with a lack of focus. This is how I'm okay dedicating three months to building an AI app, which is what I did from March up until May. I literally dropped everything else in my entire work life, and I built an AI writing app. And it was a blast. And it works. And I have paying customers. It's great. And I had no idea what I was doing. But (laughs) that skill and just the experience of doing that can help me now. If I wanted to build another app, I could do that. I now know JavaScript that much better and React and MongoDB and deploying apps and using Stripe integrations and all the, the techie stuff, as well as the marketing behind it, building relationships with people online like Peter Levels, like uh, this guy, Ian, who does a lot of coding and programmatic SEO. Like, I want to make sure that I'm setting myself up for success no matter what. I think all the massive failures have told me that. And so when I think about doing something new, when I think about taking a new course, when I think about watching YouTube videos all day, I just make sure that it's going to help me in the future somehow. Without that, I'm screwed, (laughs) right? Like I might as well just play video games all day, which I'm sad to say happens every now and then. (laughs) But I'm okay with dabbling. I'm okay not knowing exactly what to do with my life as long as it's setting me up in some way. That makes sense. That's all great. Everything Pete just said, as long as you're making some money (laughs) (laughs) enough to like survive, right? Without that, you can't. You have to focus on survival and making enough to retire off of and like all this other stuff. But I think once you have that, I think focus is a little overrated. I think starting an online business right now is probably a little more difficult than it was a couple of years ago. But I think as long as we can approach it with the mindset of growing in some way, I think we have a work cut out for us. That was my nugget of wisdom. <laughs> I think I made it. I love that. No, no, you're dropping knowledge bombs, Pete. I don't think you're alone in that you have this list of like 60 plus ideas in this idea board that you have. What I'm curious about is, at what point do you say, this is something that I'm going to try? Like, is it certain criteria that has to be checked off? Like, do you give it like a two-week seasoning period and you come back to it? You're like, oh, that idea was stupid. Or this one actually might have legs. Like, Because I always have these ideas and I don't really have a good proxy or good parameters for, I don't have a good proxy for, should I pursue this? Is this going to be viable? I just, usually they just end up in the business idea graveyard and nothing ever happens to them. So what's your criteria? <laughs> this is a great question. Not the least of which, because I'm literally in this right now. Perfect. As I mentioned today, I watched YouTube videos. I'm in between projects. I completed the AI app and now I'm trying to figure out, okay, what do I want to do now? And I don't have a great system because I've tried different systems based on forecasting what's going to make the most money, what I'm interested in and that sort of stuff. You can't see it. I won't try to make you see it, but it literally says projects I have energy for. Projects I have energy for. And I did some brainstorming. I wrote down all the things I have in my head. And on the next day, it was actually this morning, I whittled it down to three. Like I have this massive list of like different stuff and existing projects as well as new ones. This morning, I whittled it down to the three that I have the most energy for. It's not necessarily passion, 
but the most energy. I haven't chosen yet, but it's going to be one of these three. I wrote them down. I could tell you what they are. So I don't know if this is the advice that I would give to everybody, but it's what works for me right now. Energy is my word of the year. I don't know if you do a word of the year, Cody, but uh, I don't. Maybe I, I need to. <laughs> okay. Last year's was money because the year before I kind of like did not hustle at all. And my income actually went like down. Last year was money and this year's energy. Like I really want to feel motivated and excited about work. And I've been missing that quite a bit. So at the moment, I'm trying to choose the projects that I have the most energy behind. Because when that happens, I work harder on it. Huh. What do you know? <laughs> the AI app, I had a lot of energy for. I dropped everything else and I worked like 10 hour days for a couple of weeks because I wanted to because I enjoyed it. So no system at the moment. But what I have the most energy for, what can at least provide some income, like even if it like doesn't even work that well at all, maybe I'll make some money here. And what has the potential to absolutely skyrocket, like to make a crap ton of money, even if it's just like a small percentage chance, like a point point zero zero one percentage chance to hit it big and get rich. That's important too. That's my three qualifications that I wrote down yesterday. I have energy for will more than likely make at least some income stream. And then number three, it has the potential to generate wealth at some point. I like it. I like it. I know that you're an automator. Like you like to automate things. And I think this might've been that same thread where you like automated your job. So you would left at like 1 PM every day and it ended up oh, getting yeah. you in trouble. And you also are talking about using AI tools. Like you built your own AI writing tools. You're an optimizer. Like you're someone who likes to automate processes that so you don't have to do them manually over and over again. And as someone who's a serial dabbler, you, you just built this app. It's of course going to need updates. Like maybe it needs someone in customer service. Like, but now you're talking about moving on to the next project. So like, how do you go and automate businesses? And that's a very open-ended question, but I don't think a lot of people think about this. Like if they kind of have the founder problem where if they step away from the business, it all of a sudden doesn't run, they don't make any more money. Like it seems like you've been able yeah. to develop pretty good systems and automations to make some of these businesses run on autopilot. Yeah. This is actually a great question. The less you have to automate, the better. Hmm. And what I mean by that is, you mentioned like customer support. I don't do that. I can't stand customer support. Not that I don't like to even blog, but the do even blog business model mostly revolved around products, digital products, courses, bundles, memberships, like that sort of stuff, which is extremely high for customer support. A lot of times, not always, but it was for me. And so one of the first things I thought of was like, Okay, how can I build this to require zero customer support? Like, forget automations up front. How can I build it where I won't have to spend time here? Like, so where it is passive. And I think that led to decisions that just naturally mean less customer support for me, less updates to the app. And I do make a few updates here and there. None of that's automated. But I don't have a lot of customer support because the app doesn't need it. It's not very complicated. It's very, very simple. It's very, very minimal. I spent extra time up front making sure I had Loom videos that walked people through exactly how to do it. I forced people to go through the tutorial before they use the app. Like, I'm trying to take care of this in the front end rather than the back end, right? Like, systems, automation, I am into that stuff for sure. But I think I'm experienced enough now to kind of realize, like, I need to think about this now for a project, niche sites. I know you're familiar with the term, but in case your audience either, part of the idea behind niche sites, quote unquote, is no support, no comments on my blog posts, nobody emailing me for things, like no memberships, no digital products, SEO, traffic to ads and affiliate marketing. For a long time, that was like the niche site model. And that appealed to me. Because I didn't have to do any customer support. I didn't have to respond to any emails. I didn't have to like do anything after I published the content. And I still have four sites, four and a half <laughs> sites at the moment that I have not published anything on in months and months and months. And I still earn income. Like That's great. That's the definition of passive income at this point, right? So my answer to the question is not on the automations on the back end. That stuff can work, but rather approaching projects from the standpoint of passivity, passiveness, whatever word is right. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Everybody knows what I'm saying. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad I asked. I, I didn't expect that answer. <laughs> I thought you were going to talk about some automation tools and some things that you set up in the back no. end, but 
I think that's really interesting. Like you're you're just curbing the problems that you don't want to deal with in the way that you build the app or the service or whatever the income generating thing might be. That's really cool. Yeah. I hate meetings. This is okay. Me, me and you, Cody, hanging out. <laughs> cool. But this is the only meeting in my entire month. If you wow. look at my calendar, I have vacation stuff on there and I have family stuff on there. I don't have another meeting. Not one. Not a single one. And you know how that happened? I quit doing my own podcast. <laughs> I didn't like meetings. I looked at what was causing the meetings and I should have worked on that front end before, right? In front end on quotation marks. And so I stopped doing the podcast. And my membership was also eating up a large majority of my time, people time, which I wasn't really enjoying. So I stopped it. <laughs> I trust it. Like going back to this idea of freedom, like, yeah, I had to kind of kill some things that I started because it was leading to too much involvement, if you will. Well, maybe at some point in the future when the AI voice stuff gets a little bit better, you can just start having the AI Pete recording and interviewing oh, people. <laughs> I'm on it right now. All yeah, that fun stuff. Thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to kind of round this thing out and bring it back to personal finance a bit because I know you mentioned those first couple of years of Do You Even Blog, you weren't saving anything. It was almost like you were living paycheck to paycheck. At this point, you've had yeah. at least some amount of success and you have all these other ventures going on. When did you start kind of building that financial freedom? When did you start like investing the difference between your income and your expenses? And at what point was that gap big enough where it was making like a sizable difference in your family's future? Yeah. I don't think the gap was anything I ever thought about. I think once Do You Even Blog started making a couple of thousand dollars a month, I started allocating that automating by the way, well, we can talk about the automation. Automation. Too, if you want, but <laughs> yeah. yeah. I started putting money away right then and there, even mm-hmm. probably before I should have. It wasn't a lot. I've gotten to bump that contribution up over the years go by. I'll throw out Profit First. I don't know if you've read the book. Profit yeah, love First. that book. That's what I do two times a month. I follow that. It's not really an accounting system, more like a enveloping or bucketing system for your business finances or whatever. I don't know what to call it, but I've basically been doing that for years and years and years. So I don't have my percentages. Basically, I put all of my gross income from everything into an account. And then two times a month, I chunk it out. This percentage goes into a profit account, which is basically just like a Pete pays himself profits every quarter. This percentage goes to just paying me. This percentage goes to long-term business expense stuff that I don't even know that I need yet or going to conferences where I bought a super fancy camera last year or different stuff like that. Another bucket for taxes and the rest of it is just basically operating expenses Hmm. for that or all expenses up into there. And from what comes to me, I contribute to like retirement accounts and everything like just automatically, just automatically withdrawn from my account. The uh, remit Sithi approach, I guess, yep. if you want, the, the I will teach you to be rich. So I started that years ago, even when the income was not as high as it is today. I just chose some percentages to start automatically pushing out, pull out each month. And I don't think about it at all anymore. It's kind of weird to like have the question asked because I just have my process and my system at this point where I just, oh yeah, I forget I even do these things. Like now it just kind of happens. And Every quarter, I'll log into Vanguard and change up my like IRA stuff or just make sure everything's happening as it should be. And then I kind of ignore it. Awesome. Yeah, make sure you don't have like a bunch of money sitting uninvested that just like in the money market fund or something like that. Okay, I'm not going to lie. That happens to me like a couple of <laughs> times a year. I'll log in there and I'll be like, oh, man, this is awesome. <laughs> Where did the $7,000 come from or whatever? And it's like, oh, it's just been like sitting Sit in, in the money market fund. This is everyone's reminder to... Log into wherever you invest and make sure it's not sitting in the money market fund. <laughs> make sure that money is invested. I do this all the time. Yeah. <laughs> the cool thing though with that system though is it's percentage based. So if your income was you know $10,000 or a million dollars, even if it's the same percentage, it's a much larger sum of money with that million dollars. In the extreme example, would be a million dollars. So even if it's like only 10 or 20% at a million dollars, it's like hundred or $200,000. So I really like that profit first model. I think I know a lot of business owners who do really well with it. It works for me. It gets our bills paid, saving for various expenses and vacations and retirement and stuff like that. And it, it just works. 
All right. Well, as we bring this thing to a close, Pete, I have a bunch of other random bullet points, but none that really makes sense. Like <laughs> I'd had some of these written down from that long list about like your pizza tracking and your Rubik's Cube, your Rubik's Cube, like Phenom and you have all, all these other skills and things you've done, but we'll save that for a later day. We'll kind of tease people for the next one with that. For those who want to follow along and who want to see what you got going on, I know you have a bunch of different projects and things going on. Where is the best place or places for them to do that? Yeah. Honestly, I'm just going to funnel everybody to doyouevenblog.com right there on the homepage, which probably needs updating now that I think about it. I haven't updated that in a long time now. Doesn't matter. My email list has kind of morphed into just a weekly roundup newsletter of stuff I'm finding interesting, things I'm working on, other people's content and podcasts and stuff like that. So if people want to follow along, just go to doyouevenblog.com. Sign up right there on the homepage and you can unsubscribe anytime if you don't like it. That's it. Cool. Nice and simple. Well, just want to thank you again for your time, man. It's been way too long. I think before we hit record, I was mentioning, we, I think it was 2018 FinCon was the first time we ever met. And in fact, it's 2023 now. Just should have had you on earlier, but now you've had more time to do cool things and dabble even more. So it was, it was awesome having you on. Thank you for being so open and honest and sharing the failures because some people in your situation might just talk all about do even blog and not talk about the 50 plus graveyard businesses that kind of got you to where you are today. So thank you, man, for your time. And thank you for sharing your wisdom. Cody, it's been awesome, man. I appreciate it. Thank you again for taking the time to listen to another episode of the Fi show. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support us, the best way to do that is to leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts, share this with a friend. And also don't forget, you can find 200 plus episodes and all the information you'd ever want to have about these episodes over at thefyshow.com. Also, don't forget to hit that subscribe button because that way every Wednesday you can have our latest episode delivered straight to your phone. Until next time. Hey, real quick, before you go, I just want to remind you that I have made my personal like budget and net worth tracking spreadsheet available, the very same one that I use to track my net worth from $38,000 to over $1.2 million, available for free on our website at thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet. So you can go download that today. That's thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet.